Salo Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. The benefit of this for Fiji, of course, is that that's meant an injection of $805 million into the Fijian economy. It's been a year since Fiji reopened its borders. How's the country's recovery efforts coming along? Also. Dangerous every day. The young Papuan coming out, it's happening. West Papua's symbol of independence, the Morning Star flag, marks the 61st anniversary. And later on... To officially support food security and also support the economy of Tonga. Kuroi catches up with Dr Halafihi, the CEO for Tonga's Ministry of Fisheries. Today marks a year since Fiji reopened its borders to the world after shutting out tourists for almost two years. Tourism Fiji says bookings from New Zealand in October 2022 exceeded pre-pandemic levels at 103% of the same period in 2019. Fiji was one of the first Pacific countries to open its doors to tourists with minimal restrictions. What may have seemed like a bold decision at the height of the pandemic has today paid off for the island that heavily relies on tourism as its highest income earner. Our reporter Rachel Nath spoke with Tourism Fiji's New Zealand Regional Director Sonia Lawson. Fiji first opened its borders on the 1st of December, so we welcomed over 520,000 international visitors since then to its um, beautiful shores. So overall, that's about 63% of the pre-COVID levels in 2019. The benefit um, of this for Fiji, of course, is that that's meant an injection of $805 million into the Fijian economy which um, tourism has always represented approximately 40% of GDP and employs, we believe, around 180,000 Fijians directly and indirectly. Excuse me. So um, obviously we're delighted that we've had such a resurgence of tourism and the impact of tourism resuming has been really significant to the country as a whole. Yes, and I guess that's covering what developments have taken place uh, unless there are other apart from these. Well, there are some new tourism developments, some new experiences which have been introduced um, during the last few years. There's a new sailing catamaran, a 72-foot catamaran day trip that you can do from um, General, Port General. And there's also a new day club platform called Seventh Heaven. Um, a couple of the largest hotel resorts on General Island have been uh, through a thorough full Um, refurbishment too during this time so they're looking brand new Um, and a couple of resorts such as Bomo Island Resorts had a new residence built and there are more sort of plans and things coming as well so we have seen that people have taken the opportunity to upgrade and refurbish during the time so that's exciting as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, So let's talk about the overall increase. Um, And while we're still talking about that, what countries are bringing in the numbers and where are most visitors spending their time? Well, I'm going to talk about New Zealand first because um, I'm obviously very passionate about New Zealanders visiting Fiji. So New Zealand's the second largest international visitor market for Fiji. We're currently sitting at 26% of visitors um, come are Kiwis. Um, and the number one is unfortunately or fortunately our, our Tasman rival, Australia. So Australia's um, always been the largest market for Fiji. They have approximately 53% of visitors currently. And then North America is the third largest at around 11%. Um, so 
Yeah, it's exciting. New Zealand's actually increased its visitor arrivals. We used to sit at around 23%. So New Zealand and Australia are particularly important markets for Fiji. Mm -hmm. We see that people from um, New Zealand tend to go to areas like Denarau Island, the Mamanutha Islands and the Coral Coast. They've always been the sort of fan favourites, if you like. But what we're seeing now, which is really encouraging, is that is that Kiwis are actually travelling further afield. We're seeing high demand for other regions like the Asawa Islands and the northern parts of Fiji where there are unique experiences. So people who've been to Fiji more than once, there's so many new regions to discover and we're seeing people doing that. So that's also really exciting. Interesting. Um, You know, while we're still talking about this, I think it'd be important to talk about the trends so I know you've kind of highlighted it but could we talk a little more about the trends of vista stays and spendings that have been recorded by Kiwis? Absolutely so we used to have an average daily sorry an average stay of around five nights in the last eight months we've seen this has increased to around nine nights and we've also seen that the spend has increased on an average 12% per day per visitor. So we're putting a lot of this down to the fact that people are um, embracing travel, people have missed the ability to travel, and people are taking longer to enjoy a holiday in Fiji and and, and are enjoying themselves more, are perhaps upgrading their accommodation or spending a little more, doing some more experiences than they would have in the past. So uh, the other trend we've seen, which is, which is, which is logical, but it's it's um, something new, is that there is a lot more of the what we call multi generational travel. So extended families travelling together and reconnecting in Fiji. So taking the opportunity to have a holiday and really relax and each and enjoy each other's company in a in a really happy environment. Um, what can we attribute? To successful numbers rebound? Well, I think there are a few things. Firstly, there's nothing like a holiday in Fiji, and I think it's what everyone needs after the last few years. You know, there's no doubt that there was some pent-up demand, that people really missed the ability to travel, and we're still seeing a lot of people who are just seeking that relaxing, reconnecting, and happiness that comes from a holiday in Fiji. I think the fact that New Zealand is so close to Fiji. There's a, a really familiar understanding as well of Fiji and, and the type of holiday that it offers. And so I think people have confidence, you know, that they can travel for three hours and, and have that that type of holiday that, that we really need and probably deserve. Um, I think the other thing that's been really beneficial to our our, our visitor numbers and things is that a year ago when Fiji opened, it it was prepared and ready to open with a destination wide uh, protocol called the Care Fiji Commitment. Now, at a time when people were unsure about travelling and there was still a lot of um, uncertainty around, this is a standardised set of protocols which were able to provide the resorts and tourism operators with like a management program and measurements. It was certificated, certificated, is that a word? Um, and so everyone knew what to expect and everyone knew that there were these protocols in place. And so that really provided confidence to travellers, tourism provider, providers and the locals alike. And mm -hmm. I think that 
that was a really key thing in the initial stages. And from there, the confidence has just continued. Reports of threats by Indonesia to free West Papua activists have come to light on the anniversary of the first raising of West Papua's symbol of independence. December 1st, 2022 marks 61 years since the raising of the Morning Star flag. The flag has been raised in solidarity with freeing West Papua from occupation by Indonesia at events around the world. It's a symbol of independence from Dutch colonial rule. Canberra-based Free West Papua activist and musician Ronnie Kareni told Lydia Lewis about the harsh reality activists face. As now we're speaking, in West Papua, one of the locations has already the, the organizer, one of the organizers has been directly um, threatened by the Indonesian intelligence to not go ahead in organizing the peaceful gathering today. Um, direct phone calls from the Intelcom, uh, which is the uh, intelligence um, operative, uh, making threats that um, they cannot uh, go down to the street. We think that um, the preparations are still going ahead. Our supporters and allies, we see through the, the Indonesian solidarity movement called the Grand Rakyat Indonesia for West Papua. And so that has also demonstrated a really strong um, gesture of solidarity among uh, the young Indonesians. And, and also um, the supporters that have extended, uh, particularly to Philippines and Thailand and even the indigenous people of Karen, uh, uh, the Karen people, Myanmar and uh, Patani as well of Thailand. And so they're coming out in solidarity to really um, focus on like the right to self-determination of indigenous people and full sovereignty. How dangerous is it for for those in West Papua? In West Papua, it's a reality. It's, it's just an every, everyday life um, in terms of get gathering or on occasion like this. Papua kind of like knows that this, this will happen. And so it's, it's it's part of everyday life. Come on, um, you know it's dangerous every day, but um, to see the resilience of the young Papuans coming out in propelling and organizing the, the today, um, it's happening, and it also reminds me that you know the issue is still alive um, despite 61 years of this national symbol of independence and this symbol of resistance that many Papuans have died assassinated, tortured, um, even in prison, um, or even not born at all. Um, this, this national symbol has bring that spirit of uh, unity and nationalism in Papuans every year um, on the 1st of December as we celebrate it. And finally for you, what does it feel like holding the Morning Star flag? What emotions come to the forefront? The morning stuff like brings a lot of emotion. Particularly, um, it's, it's more, it's about honoring, um, those who have fought and died, um, uh, in prison, assassinated, um, under that flag or in the name of that morning stuff flag. And it's also a symbol of resistance, symbol of hope and symbol of that dream that was Papua will be free one day. And, and so for, for me, uh, the Morningstar uh, flag uh, is 
our symbol of resistance. And that is one thing that I will continue to be proud of. Um, racing that Morningstar flag wherever I, I am, within the advocacy and engagement spaces, to make sure that um, everyone, people that live, born, born and live in their own land, should not go through what the West Papuan people also are going through right now, where to raise the Morningstar flag, it landed you in prison, spending three to 15 years in jail. And so that is the, the feeling, particularly um, this Morningstar flag, um, to me, it it also uh, brings the spirit of nationalism, um, spirit of unity amongst the Papuans. When we, um, yeah, we hold that morning star flag, and and also that um, that uh, that memory of um, those who have passed away, so the memory of suffering um, also. Um, plays a big role when um, when the morning star flag is um, is flying or when we celebrate that morning star flag. Ahead of Tonga's delegation to the Pacific Tuna Commission meeting underway in Vietnam is calling for more unity and cooperation from the management of the multi-billion-dolar fishery. Dr. Tui Kolonga Hau Halafihi is the Chief Executive Officer for the Tonga Ministry of Fisheries. There are 26 countries and participating territories in the Commission, comprised of the resource-owning island countries and the foreign fishing nations, whose fleets travel thousands of kilometres to fish in the tuna-rich waters of the Pacific. And they don't always see eye to eye. Koroi Hawkins is in Vietnam and spoke with Dr. Halafihi. He began by asking how important tuna is for Tonga. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, this is a very important question. Uh, uh, tuna fisheries is the main fisheries for Tonga. And uh, this is very important to us. Uh, that's the main fisheries for Tonga in terms of volume and value. And uh, <clears throat> tuna fisheries support food security and also support the economy of Tonga. Uh, we, we do not have uh, a big tuna fisheries, but, uh, but that's the main fisheries for Tonga. And uh, by average, we receive about uh, 10 million uh, per year from the tuna fisheries. That's the average. Mm-hmm. But that's the FOP value. Uh, that's that's what we... Uh, we and FOP, uh, I'm not familiar. What's the acronym mean? Yeah, FOP value is the, uh, let's say, that's the local value. That's, that's the local value for that. But uh, the exact value for the tuna, for, uh, for exporting of tuna is much, much bigger than mm-hmm. the FOP value, but that's the value that we use to calculate the, the export. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but... Uh, Tuna fisheries is very important for us because we, we can form a plat- uh, some sort of a corporations with original and international organizations with regarding to the management of tuna, not only tuna, but the fisheries in the Pacific Tonga and the Pacific in the region. What kinds of species of tuna are fished in, in, in Tonga? Yeah, the main tuna fish species that we harvest in Tonga are big eye, yellowfin, albacore, skipjack, and also uh, bycats, including billfish. Marlins, Iwahu, Mahi Mahi, and also other mm-hmm. species. But um, albacore is the main main one? Albacore is the main uh, t- uh, tuna species for our fish. And wh- what kinds of methods of fishing are used? The main uh, fishing method for us is uh, long line. And um, you have a unique situation, which I've only just become aware of, So, um, is that uh, a lot of companies fishing in Tonga water is actually from Fiji. 
Yes, uh, we uh, for our foreign fishing vessels. Uh, yes, most vessels are registered in Fiji. They come from Fiji, but uh, are Chinese and uh, Taiwanese vessels. Are there any local companies in the fishery? Yes, at the moment we have two local companies operating uh, tuna vessels in Tonga. And, and long line vessels. Long line vessels. All long line vessels. And and. In, in all of the fishery, not just the, fi- the fishing vessels, how many people would you say in Tonga employed in fisheries work? Yeah, for, as, uh, for the tuna uh, fisheries, about uh, approximately 200 people are employed there. But for our deep water snapper fisheries, about 500. And uh, for the coastal fisheries, about 70% of the populations are engaging in uh, coastal fisheries. So huge, huge. Yes. Yeah, f- fishing is very important for us. Mm-hmm for livelihoods of people, for food support, food security, and also income. So here, you're here uh, in Da Nang, Vietnam, for the WCPFC 2022. What are some of the main things you've come here wanting to see come out of this meeting this year? Yeah, because uh, this meeting is for the Tuna Commissions, uh, trying to, I mean, to, to progress the management measures for the management of Tuna resources in, uh, in the WCPTO. But for Tonga, Alpagoa is the main... Uh, is the main species for our tuna fishery. Therefore, it's very important for us, I mean, when we come here, to support, to progress the management of our, our South Pacific alpacoa. Not only that, but uh, we also support uh, the, to improve the management of the South longline fisheries and also strengthen the management of South Pacific red fish, which is very important to us in our fisheries. Not only that, but also to support the, 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 the commission's uh, work on compliance and monitoring scheme. And also we are here to support uh, the requirements, the special requirements for small island developing states, including Tonga. Not only that, but the climate change is a, is a big issue. And we always, uh, that's one of our priorities in this meeting, we also want to incorporate the uh, the, the issues of climate change in the work of the Tuna Commissions and also other regional uh, organizations. Mm. Finally, um, part of the reason I'm here is to try and talk about our Pacific involvement in Tuna. Uh, what message would you say to Tongans around the world listening listening to this interview about maybe, I'm not sure about the work that you're doing here and why it's important for them to also care about it? Yeah, thank, thank you very much. I think uh, the main message for from here is... Uh, Corporations, solidarity, and corporations working together, because we can't do, we can't manage the resources by ourselves. We have to work together, national, regional, and also international. We have to work together, some kind of collective efforts, in order for us to manage the resources for our future. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. All <laughs> the best you. with the ongoing meetings. Okay. That's Pacific Ways for today. Remember, you can download us for free from IHA, Apple or Spotify. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Manuele Vayasu, Pavitai Tele Lava.